We're in a series called Good News for a Change, and today we're going to be talking about how good news is here, even when you can't see it, or feel it, or believe it. You know, I think we miss out on a lot of joy, a lot of peace, because most of the time we are completely unaware of what God is doing all around us. Now, there's reasons for this. One of them is that we are constantly bombarded with far more information than we can ever absorb or process, and so there's always something to distract us. But the other challenge has to do with the way that God does things. In fact, if you pay attention to the stories in Scripture, you'll notice there's a pattern, and the pattern is that God is predictably unpredictable. Go all the way back when God decides to start a family, a nation that would be a blessing to all the other nations on earth. He picks a senior citizen couple, Abraham and Sarah, who, by the way, have never been able to have children. And now they're very old. And so we're off to a great start. (laughs) And yet God does what God will do. And this nation grows, and when God chooses Moses, he appears to Moses, who's going to lead this nation. Uh, He appears to him in what? A burning bush. Now, you've seen the movies or you're familiar with the story. It doesn't really shock us, but think about this. Uh, During his shepherding years, I'm sure that Moses saw a lot of brush fires out in the wilderness. I doubt there was ever an occasion where he went, oh, that must be God over there. Or when God chooses a new king for this nation, he chooses David, the youngest of eight sons, considered the runt of his family. And yet the the list just goes on and on and on because God loves to show up in unexpected places with unexpected people and work in unexpected ways. And that was never more true than at the very first Christmas. The greatest news in history is unfolding, and the only people who are even in on it, and even just partially what they can understand, are a somewhat transient couple with a pregnancy story no one's going to believe, Mary and Joseph, a couple of lowly shepherds, and yet another elderly couple whose story we're going to delve into today. But before we do, I want to speak to any and all of us who are here in this room next door, again, tuning in, or you'll hear this eventually. I want to, I want to begin by saying to any of you who are in a place in life where you, you are having a very difficult time making sense of your circumstances because there are pockets of confusion, of pain, of uncertainty, of worry, grief, guilt, regret. There is a longing in your life that something would be different than it is. And if you can relate to that in any way, my prayer for you today, my prayer this week has been that God would meet you in a very special, a very real way and that you would be encouraged and strengthened as a result. Of this much I'm certain, good news is here because God is here. Do you believe that today, that God is here? 
Yeah, amen. And you know what? That's good news, not because everything's going perfect in your life, but because when God is here in our midst, God is active, God is moving, God is doing, working in our lives, and often when we are least aware of it. I mean, case in point, today's scripture, we heard the beginning of it during our Advent reading, and in, in, in the verses that, that we heard read, uh, it introduces this story in the time of Herod. Well, that's not a good time. Herod, Herod's a brutal tyrant. Herod's responsible for the murders of thousands of people, including one of his wives and two of his own sons. And, and yet, people, they, they know far more about Herod than they care to. They live in fear of what he might do next. And on the other hand, we hear, we're introduced to Zechariah and Elizabeth, and they're obscure, they're common. We wouldn't know of them at all had it not been for the story here today. We, we learn that he's a priest, and in fact, they're both descendants of Aaron, Moses' brother. And so in those days, that would be what you would call a gold-plated pedigree, at least spiritually speaking, and they live up to it because Luke says that they are righteous in the sight of the Lord, blameless in following His decrees. And that's not to say that they're perfect or without sin. That's the Bible's way of saying that they are faithful, exemplary believers. They're the real deal. But, there's always a but. Luke says that they're childless, because Elizabeth is not able to conceive, and they are very old. One, two, three strikes against them. And I want to acknowledge, I want to pause and just acknowledge the fact that there are people in this room or people hearing this message, and this is a struggle that's very personal to them. And it's typical, and I've been guilty of this in the past, for pastors to kind of explain how devastating it was for, for a woman in, this, in, in the day of Zechariah in Bible times to be devastated by childlessness, and you know what? That's true, but it's also devastating today for women and for men. I want you to know that we're mindful of that today. But the Bible doesn't shy away from the fact that Sometimes there are very good people, people like Zechariah and Elizabeth who end up suffering due to no fault of their own. In the meantime, there are people like Herod who is evil, but he's also brilliant, he's successful, he's prospering at the very same time. The Bible doesn't shy away from that. Now, he's not going to prosper forever, but, but certainly in the time of the story, he was. But rather than becoming bitter or consumed with self-pity, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they carry on with their lives. They're faithful to serve the Lord as best they can. And I want to pick up their story. I want us to really hear what's going on, uh, starting at verse 8, where it says, Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by Lot. Now, we might think that's a chance event, but they would have viewed that as God using that, that drawing of the Lot as God's way of choosing Zechariah. So it's not an accident according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. 
But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. If you're taking notes today, I'm going to encourage you to underline or circle that phrase, your prayer has been heard. Because that might be the one thing, the most important thing that God wants you to hear today and take away from this message. Your prayer has been heard. Because God answers all our prayers. He hears all our prayers. And sometimes those answers are yes, and we celebrate that. Sometimes the answer is no. Other times, the answer is simply not yet. Some of us have assumed that God has said no to something. He's closed the door to something, when in reality, time will show that his answer was actually not yet. He's teaching us to wait on him. In fact, there may be things that, that, that right now, you, burdens you bring. And God has said, the story's not over yet. One of the things I realized this week as I was soaking in this story, this is where it became very personal to me because I realize there are things I've been praying for that I just give up on after a while. God doesn't answer in a time frame that I expect, and so I just I give up on the prayer. At worst, I might give up on that situation or give up on that person. And I've been reminded in this story to to keep vigilant and keep my prayers coming to the Lord because even later in Luke's gospel in chapter 18, Jesus is going to tell a story about an old woman, a widow. She's crying out for justice of a, a situation in her life and the judge, that she's the, the only guy who can do anything about it, he could care less about her, but she just keeps nagging him. She wears him down to the point where you're like, okay, I will, I will take care of your case for you. And Jesus says, you know what the, the moral of that story is? Be like that woman. Stay persistent. Keep bringing your burdens and your cares to God because he cares about them no matter how small or insignificant you think those concerns may be. In fact, he cares about you no matter how small or insignificant you might think you are. I mean, think about this. Very first Christmas. This, this huge cosmic hinge is turning in the history of the world. Heaven is coming to earth, and two of the major players are Zechariah and Elizabeth. They are total nobodies in the eyes of the world. Later in this chapter, in fact, Luke is going to say that they, they come, they live in the hill country of Judea. You know, the hill country you know, doesn't even have a name. You know, there's no post office where they live, okay? It's like Coralitas, where I live, okay? It's the hill country. In fact, I used to tell my kids when they were little that, that we're all just a bunch of hillbillies growing up in Coralitas. Saved a lot of money on shoes that way, had them convinced. That's what it was like for Elizabeth and for Zechariah where they lived, that type of obscurity, except they didn't have an awesome market that made delicious bacon like we do. They're just out there in the hill country. Not only that, scholars estimate that there were 20,000 priests like Zechariah serving at the same time. 20,000. And so Zechariah, he's more of a number than he is a name. In fact, they divided these priests into 24 divisions. So you got about 830 priests in a division. And once every six months, a division would come and serve for a week in, in Jerusalem at the temple. And then they go away 
back to the hill country and back six months later. That was the routine. And to, to offer prayer and incense inside the temple, that was the highest honor that a rank-and-file priest like Zechariah could ever hope for in his entire life. Problem was, there were so many priests, not everyone was going to get a turn. And so they had this lottery system, and Zechariah wins it here in the story. He draws the winning lot, which means, yes, he's going to be able to go in, but it's such a high honor. He will never be able to do that again. It is a once-in-a-lifetime deal. So you have to imagine the moment arrives. Zechariah walks into a room that he's heard about. He's never been in in his entire life, and he never will again. On the far side of the room, there's an altar where he will burn the incense. And on the other side of that altar, there's a, a heavy curtain separating the space that he's in from the place on the other side, which is called the Holy of Holies, where God would manifest his presence. And only the high priest can go into the Holy of Holies, Holy of Holies and only once a year. And so here's Zechariah. He's right on the other side of that curtain. And he, he approaches the altar. His, his hands are trembling as he goes, and he lights the incense. And then he begins to pray. He prays for his people, for his nation. He prays for the coming of the Messiah. And that's when he realizes he's not alone. There's this being that's so magnificent, so terrifying. Zechariah, Zechariah he, can't even, he can't even take a breath. He's so terrified. And the angel says, don't be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. Zechariah's job, like every priest before him, is to pray for the coming of the Messiah, pray for the redemption of Israel, and yet this answer is, is more than that. It includes that massive great news, but folded up into that is the answer to another prayer, a prayer that Zechariah and Elizabeth surely prayed over and over and over again many years ago when they were much younger. The angel says, your wife will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. This is the story of John the Baptist. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, and he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Seven times in four verses, the angel says, this will happen. This will happen. Cannot be more emphatic than that. And what I really want Zechariah to do in this moment is just to say, well, uh, thank you, sir. Thank you, Mr. Angel, that I'm not dead. And why wow, you're telling me this amazing news. And, and now, if I, if I, may I just be excused because I'm so terrified and freaked out. And the bathroom is like way on the other side of the temple complex. I just got to leave if that's okay with you. That would have been a lot better than what he does say. 
Verse 18, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? How can I be sure? I'm an old man, and my wife, she is well along in years. Like, you think I'm old, you ought to see her. <laughs> now, show of hands. Ever have a moment where you wish you could unsay something? <laughs> yeah, got some honest people here. This is that moment for Zechariah. Because the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to you, to I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Did you know that there are only two angels ever named in Scripture? Just two. One of them's name is Michael. The other one's name is Gabriel. Okay. This is not Clarence from It's a Wonderful Life, all right? <laughs> this is Gabriel who stands in the presence of God who was sent to bring really, really good news. But Zechariah, he, he can't bring himself to believe it. And so Gabriel continues, and now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. And I'd just like to make note that much of the life of faith is, consists of waiting and wondering what God is going to do next. So they realized he'd seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. Can you imagine Zechariah coming home from his experience at the temple, and now he, without being able to speak, has to try to explain what happened there and what it all means. Was he like playing charades or doing hand puppets on the wall? Or like, is there something I can write on? I don't know. What's, what's for sure is this. Zechariah has never been a better listener to his wife than in the span of their entire marriage, okay? <laughs> He's all ears. <laughs> and Elizabeth doesn't mind this because shortly thereafter... Lo and behold, she becomes pregnant. Have to think she stays in seclusion for five months because any earlier than that, you think anyone's going to believe her? I mean, seriously, you know, pre-baby you know, bump where she's showing, she starts to tell people what's going on, and they're like, yeah, right. And, and your husband lost his voice because he talks to angels. God bless you. you know, see you later. Like I said at the beginning, Good news doesn't always come in the ways that we expect. I came across a great quote this week. It puts it like this. Will we ever get used to the way God shows up in surprising places with odd or unexpected people in utterly absurd ways? That's good. And what that means for all of us, I think it's a very important takeaway, and it's this. Never confuse God's silence with his absence. Never confuse God's silence with his absence. In fact, 
The good news is here. Good news is here when God is silent, even in the silence. In fact, sometimes that's when he's doing his best work. Check this out, because, you know, this story comes on the heels of 400 years of God's silence. 400 years, no one's heard anything from heaven. You have to go all the way back to the Old Testament, to the book of Malachi. Malachi was the last prophet of Israel. And in the book that bears his name, it says in chapter 3, verse 1, Malachi speaking on behalf of the Lord, when he says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. The Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. And then in chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, he pretty much ends his book with this. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. And with that, Malachi drops the mic, leaving God's people with the expectation that someday God is going to send a messenger in, uh, that's reminiscent of Elijah, who was Israel's greatest prophet, to prepare the way for the Lord. And 400 years later, there's Gabriel in the temple quoting this prophecy, saying to Zechariah, those words are going to be fulfilled through you and your wife. Your son's birth will signal the coming of the Lord. So don't confuse God's silence with his absence. Because truth be told, God was active during that entire time. He's raising up rulers, deposing others. He's, he's managing world affairs like, like pieces on a chessboard so the time is perfect for the coming of the Lord in the fullness of time, as Scripture says. And if you're in a, a season where you just go, God, I, I don't know where you are. It's so silent. Don't confuse that with his absence. Don't confuse that with his inactivity. And remember also this. Remember Jesus promises to be with us always. And always means always, even in the silence. The story reminds us not only that, but the story reminds us that good news is here even when I am deeply disappointed. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they, they carried this deep disappointment and pain. And even so, they remained faithful to the Lord, trusting him, serving him, having no idea. I mean, they did not see this miracle coming. There is no way they had that expectation. And I'm convinced that had they gone to their grave without this miracle taking place, without having their son, that they would have continued to believe that God was good, that God was faithful to them, even though he didn't always give us what, what we might ask for. Which means whether it's like Zechariah and Elizabeth, it's, it's infertility that's the source of our disappointment. Whether it's cancer, abuse, injustice, a loss, a mental illness, whatever it is, and not to diminish any of those things. But whatever it is, the good news is that because God has come to earth, death, disease, disappointment, they do not get the last word. Jesus gets the last word. And in fact, listen, amen. 
These things exist because of the curse of sin, and that curse has been dealt with. It has been canceled out on the cross of Jesus Christ. And let me ask you this. Have you embraced this truth? Are you trusting this truth? Are you living in the peace of this truth? Or perhaps are you still sitting back saying, well, how can I be sure of this? How can I know? Whatever it is that might be, be hanging you up, the good news is here because God is here. In fact, good news is here even when my faith falters. And notice I said when, not if. Because for all of us, like Zechariah, we will have those moments when our doubts get the best of us. And I want to make clear, this isn't just like some kind of ordinary garden variety doubt. We all have those times, and it can often lead to better things. It causes us to dig deeper. Zechariah is not just doubting here. He is demanding a sign, demanding more proof. And bear in mind, Gabriel is standing in front of him, and he essentially says, is that all you got? That's the best you can do? How about, how about a sign? And ironically, Gabriel gives him a sign, doesn't he? By striking him mute. And it's like, well, here you go. Be careful what you ask for. But even in that, that might sound a little harsh to you, but even in that, God is going to use that time when Zechariah can't speak to actually deepen his faith. To deepen his faith. And we're going to see that in just a moment. But maybe... Maybe as recently as this week, your faith faltered. Your doubts drove you to a level where you're like, you nah. know, maybe you made an impulsive decision. Well, God's response, just like it was with, with Zechariah, even if it's in his discipline, is always out of love, always restorative, always to strengthen us. And I want you to see how this plays out in the, in the life and the heart of Zechariah. Here's the rest of the story, starting at verse 57. It says, When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father Zechariah, but his mother spoke up and said, No! He is to be called John. They said to her, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. You got to love how the neighbors and the relatives are trying to hijack the moment here, <laughs> which rings so true, I know, for some of us. Not that I'm thinking of anyone in particular right now. <laughs> they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. Well, there's a thought. He asked for a writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. Nine months of silence, and what are the first words that come out of Zechariah's mouth? They are words of praise. Praise. Man, if that were me, <laughs> it would have been like, Oh, my goodness, can you guys just get out of my house? You're driving me crazy. <laughs> and yet, Zechariah, it says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit and gave this prophecy. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. 
He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. Now, don't miss this. Because Zechariah is praising God for sending a Savior who's still in Mary's womb. You know, Mr. You know, show me a sign is now thanking God because he is convinced that God is going to keep his promise just as he has said. Here's the bottom line for all of us. I don't know what your circumstances are. I know that every single one of us came into this room, came into this church today with a story. And those stories involve happy, joyous things, and those stories include hurts, disappointments, hang-ups over things. Just as real as those things are, in fact, far more real and enduring is the truth that God is going to finish what He started. That because Jesus has come, He came to save us from all our sin, all our sadness. One day He will make all things right, which means, means I can always celebrate at least three things in my life. I can celebrate what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do. I mean, just pick a lane and reflect on what God has done in history and in your own life. What He's doing. I mean, think of the things that we've heard just today, the good things that God is doing in our midst And what he will do, what he has promised to do, he will surely do. And here's the crux of the story. We really can live in in, in two different mindsets. The first mindset has to do with with this, where I just say, you know, I I will believe what I can see. I will thank God for when he says yes. I will praise him when he acts the way I expect him to. That's kind of the natural way to function. Or, and far better, we can trust that God and his plans are far bigger, far more glorious, and that the story that he writes for your life will be so much better than the one you would write for yourself, even if that were possible. But God, after all, actually knows what he's doing. I want to close with this. This week I came across a prayer. It's from a remarkable source. It was written by a soldier in the Civil War, a soldier that was fighting for the Confederacy, a man that was conscripted into a cause that was on the wrong side of history. We talk about messed up circumstances. No one knows this man's name, but his prayer has outlived him. And in, in, in the midst the things he saw and experienced and suffered. He wrote this prayer. He said, I asked God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn humbly to obey. I asked God for health that I might do great things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. 
I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing that I asked for, but everything that I hoped for. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I am, among all men, most richly blessed. Wow. That's some perspective. And how about you? Because there is no shortage of things to be celebrating this season. Because good news is here, even when it comes in the most unexpected places and packages. So let's run to God and receive it as we go to Him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blessing of being able to be here today, to be part of your church, part of what you're doing in this place, in this part of the world, in this time. And Lord, like every generation before us, we don't uh, understand much of what's going on around us. We don't understand uh, things that happen in our own lives. And Lord, I'm mindful of people today who, who are bearing deep disappointment, deep pain, and, and they haven't heard from you. People who, like Zechariah and Elizabeth, who are struggling with infertility. Or people who are undergoing treatment for, for cancer or some other illness. And sometimes they wonder if the cure is any better than the, the disease. People who are grieving a loss, loss of life, loss of a relationship, the brokenness of a marriage or between a parent and a child, relationships that are so precious to us. And Lord, you know this time of year can, can heighten and accentuate the pain because we want it to be light and glorious and beautiful, and yet our lives often are not those things. So Lord, would you, would you just bring your presence into those situations? into each little pocket of, of pain, silence, confusion, longing. Lord, would you show up in a way that makes a difference? And Lord, I trust you will, according to your perfect will. Because if, if we ever needed more of a sign that you love us, it's that you sent your own son to this earth to suffer so that we could be called the sons and daughters of God. It's in his name that we pray. All God's people said, amen. Amen. amen.